Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Hi, welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the executive director of small groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, we have a special treat for you today. We have an episode of Group Talk that's live from the Small Group Network Lobby 2017. And right now, actually, a lot of of you are coming in from all over to join us for the next few days um, and be equipped and energized together. But I have with us for this podcast, um, Valerie Bell, who will be our keynote speaker for the lobby. And I get to have a preview with her and talk about leadership, especially leadership as it concerns women in the church. And so let me tell you a little bit about Valerie. She is the CEO of Oana International since 2016 after serving on its board of directors for four years previously. And Oana, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is a global nonprofit ministry with evangelism and discipleship programs for children and youth that actively involves um, church leaders and parents in local churches. And in fact, each week, more than 3.7 million children and youth, wow, <laughs> participate in Awana ministry in over 47,000 churches around the world. That's amazing. Uh, what an incredible ministry. So prior to Awana, though, Valerie served on the MOPS leadership board, uh, on the international board, it's, which is also a global nonprofit for moms or preschoolers. And she did that for seven years. She's published numerous books, uh, magazine articles, and she has been a tireless advocate for children and for families. And she has so many other accomplishments that you can read about on the awana.org website. <laughs> um, but for our purposes, I met Valerie uh, last summer. Actually, we met in prison, right? Yeah, Valerie? not everybody can say that. <laughs> we met in prison. We did. Um, <laughs> I went to Angola prison with a team from my church, and there's this incredible prison ministry there, um, a subset of Awana, one of their ministries called Malachi Dads, which disciples men in prison to be fathers um, to their kids even while they're incarcerated. And so in Louisiana, in Angola prison, every year they hold a carnival event called Returning Hearts, where the kids are bused in to spend the day with their dads, many of whom they only see once a year. Um, and they get to have fun, to hear the gospel, and to heal relationships. And it was an amazing, incredible life-changing experience. And so when I was there, I got to hear Valerie speak actually at the prison chapel to mm -hmm. basically what they call lifers, the people who are never going to get out. And she talked about discipleship, her heart for kids, and her compassion for the least of these who are in prison. And I was just so moved um, by her her talk and just that whole experience. And so when I came back, I told Steve Gladen, who's head of Small Group Network, and I said, we need to have Valerie back for the lobby conference because it's just I was just so impressed by your leadership and your compassion, your character. And so the other reason I was impressed <laughs> is because I was so excited to meet a woman who is at the highest levels of leadership in a very influential global Christian organization. There are very few of you out there. Um, and so I got a chance to talk to her personally. I asked her about her leadership experience, particularly as a woman, and her observations were fascinating. And her encouragement to me was invaluable. You probably don't remember encouraging me. But well, you 
did. Oh, that makes me feel so good. You I did. I don't remember the conversation, but I'm glad to know it encouraged yeah, you. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I walked away. I told our senior pastor, who serves with Valerie on the the board of Awana, that it was just um, super encouraging for me. And I said, "Gosh, she's just so remarkable. I want to hang out with her." <laughs> so I get to hang out with yes, you. Yes, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So today we're going to talk about leadership, um, particularly about women, and it's just going to be a conversation to hear about your journey and what impact. Let's start there. Valerie, if, um, if I could ask you, what has impact has your gender played or not played in your leadership progression? You know, it's very interesting. I think that I came uh, to ministry at a different time than it is now. So I came out of college in the 70s. Uh, there weren't a lot of role models for women in ministry, like on a staff somewhere. Right. And so a lot of us really just took to writing and speaking. We became nomads living in suitcases, <laughs> going from place to place to place to place. And uh, that's what I did for a long, long time. I uh, was very active in women's ministry. Right. But often where the rub would come would be those women would want me to stay and speak in church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... Um, I didn't have, I, I, I can understand there would be resistance a little bit now when sure. I look back because I didn't have a seminary degree. Um, the pastors hadn't read my books. Right. I mean, where was I coming from? So a lot of times there was a little bit of, oh my word, you know, who is she? <laughs> What's she going to say? And uh, these poor local pastors trying to negotiate between right. their congregations and trying to make sure that the uh, speaker was kosher, and, sure. you know, so there was that kind of thing that was happening there. And then I remember my sister and I had a very crabby conversation with uh, the head editor of Christianity Today because both she and I were writers. And we said, why don't you ever use women? Oh, at the time they weren't? Oh, not very often. Wow. Um, there were some exceptions, but not generally the run-of-the-mill Christian right. woman, you know, which I would have considered myself to be. And he, he looked at us and he said, because you're not formed. And wow. we were very <laughs> insulted. Um, and I look back on that often and I think, what was he saying? He was mm. saying... Um, you're, you know, you, you don't have seminary degrees. You are, you know, writing uh, from a perspective of personal experience, mm -hmm. maybe more than... Uh, and somehow that's of less value than the traditional coursework. Yes, yes. So um, I've often looked back on that and been so happy, though, to see younger women who have gone on and gotten their degrees, think of this, they don't have a promise really any more than I did that they're going to yes. find a way to make a living doing right. this. But they go ahead and they, they study, they develop themselves, and mm -hmm. they go out there and they fly. Uh, so to me, I very much applaud the world we're living in now because I think right. it's much more difficult to look at gifted writers who happen to be women and to say to them, you are not formed. It's I, I not think, true anymore. Yeah, I don't. Mm -hmm. I, don't I think he probably couldn't say that now um, <laughs> at all. I don't think <laughs> That'd so. That'd be tough. And the other thing is, th I think seminary education itself has undergone some major shifts. Mm -hmm. And so, in a lot of church organizations, um, you don't even need that, even if you're male. So it just becomes kind of something you add on if you feel called to do that. Yes. But now that's not necessarily the way it used to be. Is a little different. Yes. But let me ask you this: Now you're you've seen 
from the from the 70s on till now, generations of women leaders, uh, whether in the church or in, in nonprofits like yours, have you noticed a cultural shift among the women and how they lead? Yes, I have absolutely. Um, when I first started down this path, um, our church started to have women elders. Oh, okay. And, that was um, so progressive. That was very progressive. Back then, yeah. yeah. Even now. <laughs> it is even now. And, But the problem was that the men had picked these women. And they were like the men, but worse. <laughs> 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 they weren't what I would call them. I wouldn't call them girls' girls. Yes. You know, a girl's girl yeah. will gravitate. She has your back. Yeah. She has your back. She will gravitate to you in a room full of people because mm -hmm. she wants to talk with the women. She has empathy for their life. Mm -hmm. She knows what they're living. Right. We're She's sisterhood. A, where there's a sisterhood. And there are women who belong to that yeah. and others who never get yeah. that, you know. So they picked those women, and they were, I, I, I described them as... Um, lions seeking whom they could devour the power wow. you know they were very power oriented kind of prowling the halls to see what was wrong with everybody and I, I i personally found them quite frightening i would rather have worked with just regular guys than those particular women um but i have seen a shift and this to me is really exciting I did a um, panel discussion. I led a panel discussion at the CPC, uh, Children's Pastors Network. Mm, okay. Okay. And this was recently in Orlando. They gave me a group of women in high leadership roles, and we determined before the panel what we were going to talk about. So we wrote a book, in quotes. <laughs> we gave it a title, and then we gave the chapters, cool. and those are the things that we discussed on the panel. But I loved the, the title that they picked because I firmly believe this is so true, and this is why I'm excited for women my age are coming up behind me. The title they picked was Fully Woman, Fully Leader. Oh. And to me, and the subtitle was Don't Check Your Estrogen at the Boardroom oh, Door. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. So women lead differently than men if we're allowed to. We will lead differently than men. Uh, we will lead more through influence. Mm -hmm. We will lead more through in intuition sometimes. Right. And what's beautiful at this point in the body of Christ is I think that there is more recognition of the need for all of the leadership gifts, regardless of how they are expressed. Sure. And to have all those women say, it's okay to be a woman now. That just made me so incredibly proud of them and of the journey that they're on. And for the places they're working that are progressive enough to allow them to be themselves. Right. Right. That's exciting. That do you think earlier on um, what you're describing about the women, do you think that came out of a sense of scarcity? Like if you're the token woman in an organization, like you're the only woman elder, for example, mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's this need or the sense that like you have to really like power up and be more <laughs> more more than the guys because you're the only one that could, that could be a dynamic they say that it takes three people in a minority sitting around a table that there has to be three minority representatives before any of those oh, people feel comfortable speaking I so, can see that. Yeah, I can see that. But um, I, I actually do think that it was the time we were living mm -hmm. in because this is before your time. When women went back to work, um, there were books in 
you know, publications on the business suit and the little business <laughs> ties. We were all like looking like the right, men. You right. know? That was part of the culture. It wasn't just part of the church culture. True, it was true. the whole journey that we were all on as women together trying to find our sweet spot in that world right and that makes sense because church typically um is about 20 years behind pop culture pop yeah possibly so it kind of makes sense that as women were forging their way into the main workplace mm -hmm. that the church was kind of following there one of the things you touched on valerie was how um, you perceive women leading differently and i recently read an article from harvard business review where they talked about you know well we kind of intuitively by experience think how we lead differently or how women lead differently it actually they actually quantified it and said women tend to be more collaborative, mm -hmm. lean more through influence. Um, there's one study they did was so interesting. They said if there's a job opening then um, and a man has 60% of the qualifications or something like that, he'll be like, of course I'll apply for it. And a woman would have more than 100% of the qualifications and she wouldn't. Oh, interesting. Uh, and she would self-select out mm -hmm. unless there's a mentor or somebody that would say, hey, you should go for this. Um, and it made me, just made me realize the importance of that piece of the mentorship or someone above saying, you know, you can do this. Yes. Did you have people in your life that did that for you? Yes, I did. I, uh, early on, I was a teacher and a oh. vocalist. I, that was my degree in college was voice. But um, people could see that I could write even before I could see that I could oh. write. In fact, my first book, a publisher came to me. I, now, I would love that if that would happen today. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you now <laughs> that I can actually write? But I was young, and a publisher came to me and said, I heard you on radio. Mm -hmm. You have a word gift. Uh, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, "Wow, no, I haven't thought about writing a book. He said, you should. What would you write on? I wrote up something for him, gave it to him. Uh, it was a book that eventually came to be called Nobody's Children. But um, I signed this contract, and I took what I thought was a lot of money and <laughs> cried for six months <laughs> as I wrote it because I didn't know I could do that. I've never been one to have super confidence in myself, but I do have enough confidence in God that when a door opens, I will, I will go through that if I sense that's what God is asking me to do, believing that he will gift me with the things or the people or the circumstances or the understanding that I need to be able to do that to perform well. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah, there, there have been people all along the way who have encouraged me. I try to do that. I, I feel very happy that people, women will say to me, it encourages me that you are a CEO. That you just the fact that you exist actually <laughs> is a source of encouragement. <laughs> and um, even women my age mm. feel a great deal of comfort in that. Sure. So uh, I do a lot of foundation work. I'm always uh, trying to find money to fund our <laughs> ministry. And even just going into the foundation room, they will say to me, wow, something's changed at Awana. Wow. You know, something has changed. So, yeah, I, I bless those people who saw in me what I never saw in me. And I love to do that for other, not just women, but other people who I see giftedness in, and they may not have the confidence right. to really step out in it. I love to just give them a shove and, and tell them what I see in them and encourage them. Well, that's so empowering. Um, 
usually at the lobby and with the small group uh, network, uh, probably for the last four years, I've usually had a breakfast with just the women leaders. And we tend to have anywhere between 20 to 30 percent, mm. which is way higher than we did when I started um, here. But one of the questions that usually comes up is um, women will ask in different ages and different um, t denominations and whatnot. So forget the theological issue behind it, but just women will ask, how do you know when to push for an opportunity or to push for more, whether it's a, a, a title, whether it's money, whether it's um, more resources for the ministry, um, whether it's an office space, I mean, whatever mm -hmm. that kind of criteria of, of um, influence that would help their ministry, whether they should ask for it, demand it, or just wait to be asked. Mm -hmm. um, and how do, you, how do you discern when the timing is right for that? Yes, the, uh, the first most important thing is lead with your gifts. Lead mm. with your giftedness, uh, because it's it's not your verbal uh, demanding or uh, questions that open the doors. Usually, it's your giftedness that mm. will open the doors. That said, I know women who are running the premier like children's ministries in their church, and they're not even on the leadership council. Their church is known all over the right. United States for the ministry that woman brings, and she is not on the leadership Is she council. frustrated by yes, that? Yes, she's frustrated, and she should be frustrated by that. So I think if you are leading with your giftedness and, y you know, you have created a place of um, excellence, um, then measure, am I flourishing? Can I still flourish, or is this something that just is so troublesome to me, so bothersome to me, so unfair, that I need to speak up? So um, there is a time to speak up, um, but make sure that you have a handle on the, um, the flourishing aspect and the presenting well with your gifts. And after that, those two things are in place. You can go in and say, I love my job. I mm -hmm. love what I'm doing, but I just have a problem with this, and this is right. what it is. So hopefully you will get a hearing. You yeah. Know, that's all any of us get is a hearing, right? I, I, that's really great wisdom. I, I like the leading with giftedness. Um, and doing your job, doing it well, mm -hmm. um, does actually speak volumes. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I think it's a not yet. I've there's been times I've been frustrated, and then I hear either from the Lord or from from leadership that yeah, we understand that you are, but yes. there's a, you're part of a longer term plan, um, and hang in there and trust us with it. Um, and God's rewarded. Kind That's of that a really excellent word because there is some waiting involved in this. You know, I I came to this CEO job after five years of volunteering on the board. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I gave it away for five years. Oh, wow. And then things shifted, mm -hmm. and this kind of suddenly happened to me. It all has been a spiritual journey for me. It, um, the week that I went in and applied for my Social Security on Monday, this job happened to me on Friday. Oh, wow. And <laughs> no, I was, I was retired. Like, I guess I'm not retiring after retired all. Retired <laughs> for four days. It was like God said, oh, really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but even the process of coming on the board, it was a board of older gentlemen, mm -hmm. like 80s. Oh, wow. And um, they showed me the cemetery where they're all going to be buried <laughs> oh together. Oh, my gosh. No, I came home. I told my husband, I don't think I can do this. They're looking <laughs> the other way. <laughs> they're not looking at the future. They're looking behind. And Steve said to me, you really need to pray about that mm -hmm. because they trust you. They've come to you. You know how to do governance. You can help them. Mm -hmm. 
I prayed about it. I went on that board, and it was four years of uh, working to uh, have best practices mm -hmm. on that board. And then when this change at the top began to take place, um, when they started talking about me doing this, I thought, no, they will never have the nerve to do that. It was also irrational. There was a, <laughs> a, a degree of irrationality to this. This was a board of very conservative, yes. complementarian men yes. who I love um, deeply and respect deeply. We just do disagree, particularly on that one sure. interpretation of scripture. Sure. So when they started kicking me out of the room to talk about it, I thought, oh, I could be in trouble here. <laughs> they are, they're getting serious about this. Wow. And. Um, so that's what happened, and I ended up in this position. But I came through these irrational doors of volunteerism, mm. uh, having friendships across the theological spectrum, mm -hmm. because when it came down to making their decision, that board didn't go, oh, she's from you know Willow Creek. Right, right. Or they didn't do that. They went, okay, we've seen her operating in tough situations. We've, we've seen her serve. Yeah. We know her. We know yeah. her. Yeah. So, yeah, some of this is illogical, and I love that because to me it indicates there's a degree of ingodedness in it. Mm -hmm. The things that we often pick for ourselves turn out not to be so great. <laughs> and some of the things that we just do out of submission to God have a long-term yes. impact on us. That's so true. I think someone recently asked me about the whole calling thing. It was a young um, young ministry leader, and he said, how do you discern call? And, and I find that whole thing kind of intimidating. Um, mm -hmm. There are people that heard a call at, you know, age 13, and then off they went. The rest of their life was defined. Mine wasn't like that. I, I, so I look at it more as uh, calling is really about saying yes to Jesus and whatever he's inviting to you to do in that moment, whether that's being a stay-at-home mom, for me that's being a lawyer, whether it's being, doing these podcasts, I mean, whatever it is, it kind of go, okay, Lord, really, you want me to do this? Okay, and then you step into it. Um, and then over time, that creates a life that you didn't even expect. And you said it's kind of peculiar and, and kind of unusual, uh -huh. but I think a lot of women's stories in particular that I've heard of women leaders, their story tends to kind of have that sort of wandering meanders that looks on the human way, looks like Where's the objective? Where's mm -hmm. the A to B? Yes. Um, but actually, God's A, A to B was very clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think you see it even more clearly when you get older and you mm. look back because some of those pieces didn't seem to belong to the same jigsaw puzzle when you were living through them. But someone asked me, when, when do you think you started coming to this job at Awana? And I said, it goes all the way back to when I was 12, believe it or not. Oh, wow. A guidance counselor asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a children's lawyer. I oh. must have thought I wasn't being <laughs> taken care of well at home or something. <laughs> and she said, there isn't such a thing. And I said, well, who fights for children? Mm. And now I look back, all the writing I did, I was fighting for mm -hmm. children a lot of times. And in this position, all of it seems to knit together and yeah. make sense that I really yeah. have a platform now to fight for children. And, you know, we hear that expression, God doesn't waste anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I just hear that over and over in people's stories, mm -hmm. that pieces that didn't seem to fit actually does fit. Yes. Um, and he actually uses it. So let me ask you this. Um, 
you talked about the Wana board kind of being more conservative and complementarian. It doesn't have necessarily even to be about Wana, but what advice would you give to women that are in environments where there are uh, men that really aren't comfortable, or maybe other women that aren't comfortable with their level of leadership? Mm -hmm. um, of course, their church has put them in that position. So somebody is, you know, the past senior pastor or the point leader is appointing them there, but there's just still a resistance to their influence or their leadership because of the gender piece? Like, mm -hmm. how, what advice would you give them in how to handle that? Well, I think we have to be realistic about how long we've been on this journey. It may seem long for a lot of us, but it's a fairly new journey. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people are str uh, struggling with it. They're trying to figure out, how do I deal with mm -hmm. this person? So um, I try to take clues from the people around me from the mm -hmm. men that I work with you know some of them are really happy and comfortable with me and just you know hug me and it's like they hug their grandma and everything <laughs> <laughs> and others aren't that comfortable with that right. type of expression and I, that's fine they you know I try to go with whatever their comfort level is and then for me I practice a um, a spiritual discipline that I'll share with you in just a second, because women find themselves, uh, whether we want to ad admit it or use this terminology in the church, being sexually objectified in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, you maybe can't ride in the car with one of your co The Billy Graham rule, yes. The Billy Graham <laughs> rule. And um, this is difficult mm -hmm. for women to maneuver through. Uh, in fact, I could not do my job if I had to observe that all the time. Now, if I'm in the car with the same guy all the time, somebody should sure. be concerned about me. <laughs> like Steve, me. Uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, someone should be concerned. But uh, I have to be able to work at a high level with sure. these other uh, leaders. And so uh, I practice a spiritual discipline. I teach it mm. in our workplace, but we practice uh, Christ between us. Mm. So there's Christ is always between us. And that's very tempering, very um, uh, comforting. Hmm. It's very much uh, a kind of practice that allows us to be equal at the table, not so aware of our differences. Yeah, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> practice, well, what does that look like? So, um, you know, there will be times like, I'm a woman, I'll have my feelings hurt, you know, <laughs> something that happens. And, uh, I will have maybe more of an emotional reaction mm -hmm. to it than the guys would have because, you know, yes. they can beat each other up and still go That's home. That's their love language. That's their love language, <laughs> you know. And um, fortunately, I've lived in the house of testosterone for a long time. I have two sons. They're grown right. up now, my husband. <laughs> so I, I'm a little bit one of the guys. But um, there'll be something like that that will happen. And I, I will have to practice Christ between us in a sense that um, – you didn't intend to hurt me. Mm -hmm. I know you didn't intend to hurt me. I was maybe too sensitive about that. And I'm not going to make it a big blown up deal if I can wa walk through it, talk with you about it, but not put a lot of extra emotion in it, into anything. Mm -hmm. So you don't owe me any kind of um, anything other than a normal work loyalty. Mm. You know, that's Christ between us. I don't mm. expect them to be my sons or my mm -hmm. husband or any of those things that are kind of emotionally bound. Binding. Yeah, I mean, even even when there's extra attention, this is kind of a flip, but if they tend to be a little older, sometimes I get this from older leaders that are kind of paternalistic. And 
it's another form of it where, you know, I remind them of their daughter or their yes. sister or something, their little sister or something. And there's a paternalism with it that's kind of a little devaluing and mm -hmm. sometimes kind of sticks in my craw. Um, where I kind of go, okay, either I just take it or I kind of cor correct it. I just spent a lot of time educating people is really <laughs> what I ended up doing. Um, but that was only possible, I think, when I initially started ministry because I came from the legal world where, and we operated so differently, um, and the expectations were so different for women that I think I was kind of a bull in the China camp. Next, I thought, why is this even an issue? Um, and I didn't understand that there's a history, there's you know all these mm -hmm. landmines in there, and I also had a chip on my shoulder a bit. Um, and now we joke about it in leadership that you know this is kind of this agenda thing. But it, over time, I've realized if you do relate to them as sister and brother, and, and I love that expression, Christ between us, that people actually can be influenced more just by example and by a healthy relationship with a woman in the working environment, mm -hmm. that that actually um, can help quite a bit. Right. And, and becomes then it kind of becomes its own thing. I had a, a coworker who told me um, we had lunch and it was like a big deal because he was always practiced this rule, and but we need to talk about something in root. And so I'm like, okay, I, I'm fine with it. Are you okay with it? And we weren't going very far. And then he said, I have to tell you, I've never had a peer uh, much never had a supervisor ever that was a woman and never had a peer even that was a woman women have always only worked for me mm -hmm. not with me or you know above me and he said this is really um, weird for me what, this is new ground what are the new rules yeah and yeah, I was how like do, I do this really and then <laughs> I, instead of just wanting to go oh get real I, I actually said okay well this is good because <laughs> well, we can like figure this out together for you yeah. with this and he came with an openness to it and and we're we became good friends even though he held his own views on on the issues mm -hmm. but it just made me realize wow people are starting really different places mm -hmm. that's absolutely true and you know because I'm not a uh, what I would call a take charge storm the ramparts leader I'm not that I'm more of an influential thought leader uh, some of the guys that I'm working with said to me we're trying to figure out your leadership style you know you sit there you're quiet you laugh at us all this <laughs> stuff goes on and then just every once in a while you'll say okay boys I've had enough <laughs> <laughs> it's like the way I mothered, actually, yes. you know, it was the way I have dealt with that. But so these are all this is all new territory for everyone. And we're trying to figure out um, where the safe places are and how not to wound each other and how to move forward, um, letting every giftedness area flourish. I love what the Lausanne Congress said mm -hmm. um, about women in leadership. They said the times are evil. We need every gift in the kingdom to be fully operational. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, yeah, to me, that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Um, now, let's switch this just a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about women, but let's talk about the men. If you are advising the men who are listening on how um, they could work better with the women on their teams, most men in small groups ministry work with a lot of women because there's usually women's groups, so there's women coaches. Mm -hmm. um, even in the most conservative churches, you have to work with women <laughs> to some extent. There's usually an admin that's a woman. Um, there are women all over their life. And sometimes I hear men are a bit at a loss as to what do I do? How do I lead them differently? Is it different? Should I just treat them all the same? Is that more respectful? Um, and those questions all kind of come up. What would you say to the men um, in terms of coaching women or working with women? Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think be yourself. Let people mm -hmm. just adjust to you. We Women are very adaptable. I think that we uh, can kind of read a person and adjust to what that particular male's uh, leadership style is. 
So in a sense, don't differentiate to mm. the point that we're all a little confused and <laughs> <laughs> uh, self-conscious about it. Um, but also, on the other hand, um, I think that, you know, women, uh, you know, when I, you asked me before who had mentored me. I, it was often a male supervisor yeah. who, sa- who found my giftedness was not threatened by my giftedness mm-hmm. so that they could express it to me. And so, you know, um, that's really important, I think, for men not to step away from that. If they're good at that with their male uh, employees, don't be afraid to do that for uh, a woman who is uh, needing your encouragement that way. Um, oh boy, this is, we could just go into a whole lot of things. <laughs> There's one thing that does come up all the time, though, and it is at a leadership level, um, even for me, if the guys operate on too close of a buddy system where they're making mm-hmm. decisions in the male yes. bathroom or when they're out bowling and I'm not part of that because right. I'm not part of that, uh, I could very easily be the odd man out. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I'm CEO, I could be the odd man out if they start mm-hmm. making decisions without consulting me. Because right. they hang out more casually They together. do. They the hang out casually. I don't do that with them. So uh, be really, if I was a male, I would be really careful Mm -hmm. that if there is a woman in position of authority there that she's brought in, she doesn't have to be brought in at the bowling alley, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but she needs to be formally brought into that decision-making process before you guys uh, sign on the dotted line Mm -hmm. anything. And uh, so that's just one of those things I think women feel very sensitive about. I've definitely heard that um, the golf outings, the, you know, the extra kind of guy bonding time. And this is when rules like the driving um, or not traveling together become a real problem because women need mentors and that supervisors tend to be male still. Yes. Um, And if you can't travel together to a conference or to whatever, there's so much um, unscheduled, you know, kind of just off the cuff hangout time where you can glean from another leader Mm -hmm. and from a supervisor and gain their voice and all those things, mentoring that happens. that you ha- don't have access to because you, you're not allowed to spend time with Women them. Women complain about that quite a bit. So that's one of those things that we just need to be really sensitive to with each other and do the best we can. It's not going to be a perfect world. <laughs> <laughs> we can do better. <laughs> do you think it would be appropriate for a woman who feels like, you know, like you, I've been mentored mostly by men, um, recognizing giftedness or just kind of being... Um, being role models for Mm -hmm. me in some ways. That's why it's such a treat to have you. Um, (laughs) But do you think asking um, a male supervisor or, you know, a pastor or somebody to to mentor you if you're a woman, um, would that be appropriate? Um, You know, I have mixed feelings about Mm it because I also am friends with a lot of pastors' wives, and they can feel very threatened by a woman who has a consistent presence in their husband's lives. And... uh, they were. I was just with a group of them last week, and they were one woman, pastor's wife, was complaining about a woman in her church who is too constant in their lives, and mm. you know she had a flat tire somewhere and called the pastor to come wow. uh, change her Not tire. Not AAA, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we need to be careful of um, what the expectations mm. are. Some pastors would probably be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Or they might say, I have this woman I'd like you to spend more time with. It would be the same thing as some pastors don't counsel women by themselves. Mm-hmm. It would be that same time spent, regularly mm-hmm. time 
That's you know, true. dynamic. So I think it really depends on the circumstance. But um, sometimes we have a natural mentoring relationship in the work structure. Right. And then that's good. Right. You know, that works. Yes, I think maybe it's almost easier to, to find it in the in the one one that in the working yes, structure. I, like so. I don't I don't go out to lunch with our senior um, pastor or even our executive pastor and he and they do with some of the other people on the executive team, the other seven guys and then me. Um, Are you the only girl? I am the only woman. woman. <laughs> I am the only woman. But you know what's so interesting? Um, so I've been there now four and a half years. Um, but initially that was a little bit of a challenge. Um, because they knew each other, and I was a new new kid on the block. In addition to being the only woman, in addition to being the person without a seminary degree, um, but all of those pieces. But then over time, kind of figured out where, what where I fit in. And one of the things I did early on, this is kind of interesting, because you were talking about being a little more emotional or mm -hmm. sensitive. Um, I'm a little wired that way too. And when I feel really passionate about something, or I'm arguing something, I was a lawyer before, and I can get really <laughs> passionate. Um, I start tearing up, and I absolutely hate that. So I start getting like choking up and now then why? tearing up. They do too. Do you realize but, that? But when they do it, it's because they they're so deep and spiritual. Oh. When when women do it, it's because we're emotional and weak. No, I love a man who can cry. Yes, but we all do. <laughs> we all look at a man who can cry, and we get we attribute positive things to, it, especially a pastor. Yeah. We look at a woman who cries from a platform or from an environment, and we tend to, especially if you're a male, tend to look at it as. Okay, why is she so emotional? And I've actually gotten those comments really? um, wow. in, in the past. And so I told them right off the bat, and I said, okay, sometimes we're going to be talking about some stuff in here that I'm going to feel passionate about. And then you're going to see me choke up. You're going to see me cry. You don't have to fix it. I am not your wife. I am not your daughter. <laughs> I am not your sister. This is no responsibility. This is my emotions. <laughs> I'm managing them. And it just comes up like that. It just means that I care deeply about this thing. And so hear that and not get rattled by the fact that there's tears here. That's good. You know, passion is such a gift. Now when it comes with tears, I'm oh, like, oh, no, it's such a gift. And uh, I'm thinking we have a 99-year-old founder. Yes. He's still Alana, living yeah. at Rohrheim. And ever since I've known him, he could get choked up over children. He never mm. got over it. And it's one of those things that just, every time he does it, it just grips all of our hearts. And I, I think about the guys at, at the board level and our leadership level. They're all great wellers, uppers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that about them because, you know what, that's passion. Well, and sort of and I do too. Yeah. I do, too. I, I can get uh, gripped by it from time right. to time. I think sometimes men get a little afraid of it um, because they're worried that it's it could be manipulative or it could be um, something kind yes. of... Um, you know, designed for to be more persuasive or something, mm -hmm. but it really wasn't. And then I had one mentor who was so great because I had gotten uh, I had spoken at a thing and I got choked up. I was sharing my story um, about how God saved me and I got choked up and then I just had a hard time continuing. Um, and then someone in the audience later on who was pretty high up um, said to him, you know, she seems great, but why is she so emotional? And I let that like pierce me and I felt like, oh no, I'm going to be, this is, I was way younger than more sensitive. <laughs> and I just felt like that was such a slam. And then this, pr this mentor said to me, when you stop feeling um, emotional and passionate about God's grace in your life, which is what you were talking about, then you shouldn't be in ministry. Ah. And it was such a word from the Lord because I was like, okay, then this is a good thing. And people can interpret it however way they interpret it, mm -hmm. but this is just how I'm wired. They can just deal with it. I right? know, but that, that, deal with it. but that takes time. <laughs> I mean, to get comfortable in your skin, I think especially as women, that's harder. Uh -huh. And I see, th what do you think about the millennial women? Because I see them being very... Um, 
what's the word for it? Impatient. Oh, you know, there's been so much written about millennials. And I think it's too early to give to them say. a read. <laughs> I really do. They haven't had an opportunity for their leaders to emerge mm. in their generation. So we only get this kind of broad picture. Mm. Well, I was a baby boomer, and at that time in my life, the broad picture of us was pretty terrible. <laughs> you know, we were wrecking everything. Well, we turned out to be people who were change agents Mm -hmm. in the culture true you know they're true it's gonna we're gonna read better at when we're gone than we are right now but i think the same thing about millennials it's too really early to tell um but this sense that um you can push a button on a computer and get all your research oh, you yes. need that they are dealing with that and that's a little bit of a handicap in real life instant, because in real life you pay your dues in real life you show <laughs> up and do the grunt work for a while you know most of us do yes <laughs> yes most of us do uh, but i think they have potential to be a fabulous generation if what we're learning about their them being causal turns out to be more than a cultural positioning but turns out to be how they actually spend their money and what they give their lives to and some of those things uh, I think that they will be fabulous. I think they have come with uh, native intelligence, with computers and the internet, uh, those things. Who knows what that's going to look like in 30 years from now? And they are the stewards of that. So, And I know you go around all over the world speaking at churches and observing the local churches because I wanted this so much. Mm -hmm. the local church, do you see uh, any changes or movement towards more inclusion for women in other parts of the country world it's more inclusive isn't it mm -hmm. women seem to be doing much more visible things yes i we have so many women leaders in awana yeah. and i think that they're not the ones getting paid necessarily for it they're the volunteers. they are the amazing volunteers right. now you're going to get me choked up because when i think about the volunteers that show up every week Mm -hmm. it, you know, 3.7 million children, that's 440,000 volunteers. Wow. And I would guess that way Majority. over half of them are women. Mm -hmm. um, so these women are uh, the pillars of their churches. They are the ones who have a heart for children. They are the faithful shower-uppers. They're mm -hmm. the ones who are going to do this task without any fanfare or, you know, any spotlight on them. Uh, to me, they're heroes. To me, they're the, the grease that the wheel of the church yeah. moves on. Uh, to me, they're the beautiful, beautiful feet who preach the gospel of peace. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so in God's economy, um, he knows all of these things. Mm -hmm. So I would like to say, oh, I see changes in the church. I do see um, teaching pastors who are women now in some churches. That's exciting. Um, some churches have allowed women to be uh, on the elder board. Um, those are all positional things. Yes. I think that in contrast to that, though, a woman can have high levels of leadership, high levels of influence without the position, without the title, without the, you know. And... Uh, how do we set ourselves free from that? Why do we still think we need those things, that we need the degree or that we need the, the title or the, uh, the stamp of approval mm -hmm. from, you know, from some organization instead of just like the woman you described who's leading like an amazing children's ministry without a title, without recognition, mm -hmm. without acknowledgement from leadership? Mm -hmm. Like, 
why do why do we still so want that i think you know we have a sense of recognized value mm. um but and and that's lovely i i applaud that when that happens but there's something about a whole gender of people being willing to do the work um, that makes all of it come together. Um, there's something beautiful about us. <laughs> and I'm not sure that getting the title always yeah. makes us more beautiful. You know, and it may but it could make us more effective. It would make us more effective. It would take the sting out of our lives. It would take the edge out of our lives. Um, I saw this so often when I was the chairman of MOPS. They would bring me in to speak for a MOPS group mm -hmm. and the young moms right, there, right. you know. And then the next thing, they would be graduated out of MOPS and they would be doing women, leading the women's ministries. Mm -hmm. They had it's learned leadership in MOPS. They had right, gone on right. to women's leadership in the women's ministry, same group of women. And then their kids went to college and the church didn't see the value in them. Oh. And didn't hire them into positions, didn't find mm -hmm. funding for them to run the women's ministries in the church. So they would get a job in the dentist's office or something Aww. like that. To <laughs> yeah, I know. It, just the, all those years of learning leadership and, right. it, and uh, expanding and developing their gifts because they needed the check. They needed mm. that check to send their kids through college. So, yeah, there, those are some of those things, Carolyn, that I would really love to get reversed for women. Once she has done the work of developing herself right. and she is an obvious uh, leader, the church needs to find a place so that she can stay and give her uh, gifts right. continually to the church so she doesn't have to take the dentist's job <laughs> to get her kids through college. It's so sad. <laughs> it's sad. Um, <laughs> you know, it reminds me, though, Small Groups Ministry, uh, it's very similar to the volunteers at Iwana. I mean, it's, you sh it's a show or uppers, right? Yes. Every week, you open up your home, you lead a, lead a group, and then the coaches, a lot of the coaches are women mm -hmm. um, or area leaders, whatever title people give, and they oversee usually typically five to ten leaders. So they become leaders of leaders and disciples of disciples. Mm. Um, and then over time, they hit a ceiling because if you're, if you're going to be a small groups pastor, more than likely, you're going to be male. Um, and that's changing with special yeah, organizations I was ask like you, this. Do you see this. Do you see this world changing? Very slowly. <laughs> I'm kind of impatient. <laughs> um, it has changed quite a bit because even at the Small Group Network, which is now global, when we started this um, with Steve Gladen about 10 years ago, I think we just had our anniversary, there was um, like, I want to say 10 guys in me. Um, and only because I knew Steve from way back because he used to be a small group pastor at our church. And so I was like, what the heck? This is not okay. Um, so I set out to kind of recruit more. I knew there were women out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so with the Facebook group and with other things we've done, we've made an, uh, a concerted effort to bring more women to the table, to, invite, to deliberately invite them to the table because mm -hmm. I think men will show up at the table because they think they deserve to be there. Not because they're arrogant or anything, but just that's just our culture. We've, we've said men belong there, mm -hmm. especially in the church. Women seem to need to be invited. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what we've done. Um, partly having our keynote speaker for the last three years, almost I want to say almost four years, has actually been a woman. Really? It's not an accident you're here, Valerie. Oh, my word. Because that's unusual. It, is, it unusual, is unusual, especially because when you look at the audience tonight, you'll see that maybe 30% at most 
Um, at first, it was like 10%. That was 15. And every year we've grown. I think we have the most ever this year, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. But um, Steve and the leadership, it's been an effort to say Good for them. we want that. Yeah, Good for and, them. I and applaud and them. And it wasn't something huge I did. It was just kind of like, hello. Do you realize that most people in small groups ministry are women? So I think we need to kind of empower them more. You know, um, women are motivated by different things than men, though. Uh, you know, hmm. you said, why do women not... Uh, end up with the titles or the high-paying job. There was a study that came out of Harvard, I believe, and I can't remember the name of the book right now, that tracked women who are, were on a leadership uh, curve to mm-hmm. become leaders in their uh, organizations or their uh, businesses. And they found that women would get to a certain point right, in, in right. the organization. And right. then when it was just hoops, going through the right. hoops, like getting your Ph.D., my brother-in-law <laughs> uh, has told me I don't have my PhD. He says if you're willing to go through the hoops, right. eventually you'll get your PhD. What happens in a lot of organizations, businesses, ministries mm-hmm. is there is a, that hoop jumping right. at towards the very top. You know, uh, doing things the way establishment the, the establishment right. wants, fitting in and kind of taking your creativity, putting it aside. This study found that women were not willing to do that. They wanted to invest their lives in things that they felt deeply about, that they were causal about. So sometimes we give ourselves this ceiling ourselves, Mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing Mm. because I think we all benefit from the woman who leads those small group leaders and is finding fulfillment in that. You know, that's a, a fabulous thing if she is leading leaders and finding fulfillment in that and it's working out in her life let's applaud that woman you know and a lot of our our small group pastors do and they recognize the value of that because mm-hmm. you need you need those people part of it is i think i must have read the same study and it's true across the board in business and churches women opt out mostly because of the balance and maybe we we can talk about this um as we near the end of our conversation values the balance for women is managing family and children mm-hmm. um and as long as we're the ones getting pregnant and we're the ones <laughs> having the children um, that always becomes a bit of a struggle mm-hmm. um so how do you navigate that in your life and and balancing it or fitting it in or you know however way you want to phrase it um as you've moved into different aspects of leadership well, the first thing I did was to marry the right man. Aw, <laughs> and he's sitting right here. <laughs> <I know. laughs> he was always my greatest cheerleader Aww. and really desired that I would um, develop myself. Mm. And he gave me the space and the time to do that. I traveled a lot as a young mom when I started writing, uh, and my books mm-hmm. were out there quite a bit. I was gone, and he's... He was Mr. Mom. He mm-hmm. covered all those bases. So, you know. He had a pretty high-powered job himself. <laughs> I know so. he did. But just uh, having the right partner, mm-hmm. working it out with your partner right. so that there's um, mutuality in the raising of children is so important. There are things you can't do when you've got young children, though, mm-hmm. and you really shouldn't be doing them. You know, right. you need to be the present person. I would say take the long view you've got a mm. long long like life and now you know i think it would be wonderful if i could have my boys back and have them be four-year-olds again <laughs> for a while or with the same s- wisdom you have yeah, now see, that's, see, that's the yeah, thing. i miss that i miss that um, i love their adult selves but i am freed up now to do mm. a lot so i said to steve the other day i'm on, i'm only home four days in march oh wow march, yeah 
And I apologized to him. I said, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm doing this to you. And he said, are you crazy? I've done that to you all my life. Aww. So, um, yeah, work it out. Work out that family dynamic. Um, the family's not going to be there forever. And the opportunities are still going to be around. And I think that's where, where get people, <laughs> I think that's where people get, um, get worried. There's a sense, kind of like a scarcity concept, that if I don't say yes to this now, it's going to go away, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to get a ceiling put on, yes. um, the stained glass ceiling, yes. or whatnot. <laughs> um, and I, I love what you said, take the long view. I, I think it is seasonal. Um, I've worked more as my kids have gotten older, and it's... How old are your kids? So they're now 16 and 18, mm-hmm. so I have one ready to go to college. And I, st- I started um, in ministry vocationally um, at about 10 hours a week when she started kindergarten. My younger one started kindergarten. And then over time, I've been... Maybe this is the other piece. I've worked for a church that's been so flexible with me and has valued what I can give, and they weren't in a huge rush to have a you know premier small group ministry. They were willing to go at the pace that... They, that my pacing of my life schedule matched their pacing of what our church was doing. Um, and so we just kind of continue along. And then when my uh, younger daughter hit um, high school, then, you know, and they had an older one started driving, then it was like, oh, I can start seminary now. I can uh, be on the executive team now. It was just kind of, I've been so blessed to have that timing work out. I can work yes. more now. But I still limit, uh, you know, and I'm flexing with so I can be at games, be do all those things. But we don't all have that luxury. Um, you know, with it. And so I, that always comes up with women. Like, how do you, you know, how do you do that and not feel like you're shortchanging? And every so. situation's different. Yeah. yeah. You may not have a husband who's able to be flexible with that. No, my husband works a lot, yes. Yeah, <laughs> or you may have a job situation that's not flexible. Sure. Every woman has to look at that and say, you know, what is God asking me to do in this season mm-hmm. of my life? Um, it may be different than your best friend's life it it just goes person to person case to case but i do believe that god gives us our gifts and expects us to develop them so i sometimes see moms kind of skipping out on Mm. that once the kids come and you know it's a lovely uh, diversion and it's an occupation it's a calling to be a mom but you also have been created in the image of god with certain gifts and capabilities and so i love to see uh, my kids, for instance, becoming parents, that's mm-hmm. been part of the great trip of being <laughs> a grandparent. The grandparent, the grandkids are lovely, but watching my kids be able to be mm-hmm. selfless and caring and loving and so adult in this whole thing is wow. just amazing. So I love that. But I also love watching them begin to really understand what God's called them to do getting into their sweet spots professionally, that to me is also just an amazing act of um, trust in God, Mm. faith in God, following God, learning to listen to him. And and to me also, the the wonder of it all is that God shows up and puts those pieces together in ways that mama can't. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's my kids, but I love to see that in everyone. I, I love to see someone who, particularly if they were a little tentative or not mm-hmm. real confident, and maybe nobody's said to them, wow, you're a great writer. Or, 
I love to hear you speak, or I just love working with you. You're such a great team person to work with. Nobody's ever done that for them and blessed them that way. It's so important. And as leaders, I think for us to do that, to notice, mm-hmm. um, not just women, but just in general, to notice others that are doing that. Yes. Um, well, this has been such a fun conversation, <laughs> but I'm like, we're almost out of time. Um, what, is there any final thoughts, Valerie, that you'd like to share with us? Um, we have a lot of women listening as well as men listening from all these different kinds of churches, um, small, big, medium, different denominations. Um, is there any final thoughts you want to share uh, just to encourage them? Well, first of all, I value and honor your gifts that you're giving already. Um, This is a beautiful ministry, and it's because of you. It's because of the people (laughs) who volunteer. That's They make it up. And so um, I just am applauding and hoping that you won't give... um, get weary in well-doing, mm. that you will have a sense that God has come right along beside you and is enjoying your process, enjoying your growing up, enjoying your learning how to deal better with people, all of those things that we learn when we're having to be a leader somewhere and work mm. with other people. So first of all, I just do so applaud that. And secondly, you know, my prayer for you is that you will find that either this is the place of your flourishing, mm. this is the place of your development, or you will see that this is a, a step along the way. If, it's, if you don't quite feel like that yet, you know, uh, keep trusting God, keep the long mm. picture, and realize that all of this eventually does lead somewhere. Mm. Uh, and you'll look back and go, wow, I learned a lot from that awful person in my small group, right? <laughs> it's true. You usually do listen. You learn it you do from, learn from difficult people. people. Yes. The difficult people teach us a lot more than the easy people. That's right. So for whatever reason, God has you in this place at this time, um, that this would be a sweet learning place, that this mm. would be a growing place, that this would be a place where you would begin to see how he has put you together and how he has wired you mm. and how he wants to use you. Um, and that also you will have the sense of his presence. That's oh, so important, that. the sense of his presence. I love that. You know, um, this is so unusual because I never do this, but Valerie, would you mind closing us in prayer and praying for our leaders that are listening? Um, some of them may be weary in well-doing. I think a lot of ministry is hard, mm-hmm. um, and some people may be at that place, and there may be some women who've heard today um, something for them. Um, but would you mind just sure, I'd be happy commissioning to. and praying us? Yes. <laughs> uh, Father, I just lift up all of these workers, these leaders to you, and I pray, first of all, that they will have a sense of the calling over their lives, that they are in this place at this time, Mm -hmm. and that they will uh, lean into you for your wisdom, that they will lean into you for their guidance, help them to have joy in their service so it's not a drag to have to do this all the time, (laughs) Father, but that they will have this sense that you have gone with them, uh, give them uh, your blessing, Uh, give them the sense that you have found great favor in them make this a sweet experience help them not to get sucked into a sense of this is boring or tiring or 
uh, all the things that come against us when we are trying to do good in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, I lift them up, each one. I don't know their circumstances. You do. Mm -hmm. And you know exactly what they need in order to be able to flourish and thrive and grow. And I pray that that will be something that not only you give, but that they can receive in this day in which they live. And so I thank you for Carolyn. I thank you for this network. Um, and uh, thank you for this opportunity to share my heart uh, during this time. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Valerie. So appreciate it. Um, I want to make a quick plug for the Returning Hearts um, event that's coming up in May, right? Right. And are they still taking volunteers? Yes, we have We have to get about 600 volunteers. I know. There's an <laughs> army. It is so much fun. If you're looking for a short-term mission trip, um, to do in Louisiana with a smaller team or even a bigger team. Um, it's a wonderful, phenomenal experience. And there's a website um, on the Awana page, I mm -hmm. think. That Awana you Lifeline. Awana, Awana Lifeline. Lifeline. And we'd love to have you come. Uh, I, I go and I get whacked every year. <laughs> <laughs> I just get so whacked by seeing these kids restored to their parents oh. and mom, their dads. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. So come on down. Help us be a volunteer. Get whacked. You'll, you'll be better for it. <laughs> yes, for, sh for sure. It, there's, there's really nothing like it. Um, so yeah, I want to encourage you guys to do that. Or maybe you can go down as a small group. We're trying to recruit. Uh, we're going down again. So Are we're trying you? to recruit That's different great. people. Yeah. Trying to go, gosh, maybe I should give up my spot so somebody else can go and be blessed <laughs> by it. But I kind of want to go. So we'll see. But anyway, um, you can catch up with Valerie on her website. Um, and is your website the Wana one or is there a Just Awana is fine. They can find me they through Awana.org. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so God bless you and your ministry with Awana. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening to Group Talk. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources, visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.